Fresh out of the ovens, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Ah, and Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, The Baz Batch, covering every film directed by Baz Luhrmann. We will fully spoil today's film, The Get Down, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how are you doing? I'm good, Emmett. I was watching this because uh, today we're basically covering a TV episode, even though it is feature length. Yes. I was thinking about what have we covered that's similar to this. Yes. You know, because we've done direct to VHS movies. We've done streaming movies. And then I was like, well, we did the TV movie Spider-Man. Right. That led into a TV series. And then I realized that that Spider-Man also takes place. In the summer of 1977 in New York, as Star Wars was coming out. No way. (laughs) While books and Shaolin Fantastic are inventing rap in the Bronx, just a few blocks down in Manhattan, (laughs) the lifestyle guru is causing all those people to commit suicide. (laughs) Same summer. (laughs) That is insane. Both of these also featured the main stunt being one character jumps from one roof to another kind of slowly and then hangs on for a little bit. That's amazing. I love it. How are you doing, Emmett? I am doing super well. Uh, I'm doing especially well today because we're honored to have a special guest. Please welcome mm-hmm. back DeAndre Weaver. Hello, everybody. Woo! How's it going, DeAndre? We're doing good. We're vibing. We're living. I'm ready to talk about the get down. It's going to be amazing. Hell yes. Let's get into it. What is your previous experience with the movie series, DeAndre? So with Boz or with the get down? First with Boz in general, and then specifically if you watched this pilot or probably the whole TV show, if you're going to watch any of it. Boz Lerman is one of those people where I was like, I have no idea who you are. And I looked at childhood movies. I'm like, oh, no, you directed so many things that I watched. And so mm-hmm. my main experience is like Gatsby and Romeo and Juliet, which like mm. super fun movies. I haven't got a chance to see Elvis or Moulin Rouge yet. Get Down, I kid you not, in my dorm room, I was like, I need to burn like an hour and a half. Let me just put this on. I was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> as most like sophomore year slump times go you just watch and watch and watch and i think i may have watched that <laughs> entire show in a day <laughs> yeah boz is it's so much but in the best way it's a buffet of just everything you could ever want so did you see this when it first came out in 2016 2017 or yeah yeah i i think i watched it i think one of my roommates like recommended it to me and i was like oh let me check this out and i'm like oh this is crazy i remember this coming out i didn't actually see it but then when we were watching it laura reminded me that i had recommended it to her and she had watched it (laughs) even though i had never actually seen it that's so funny which is pretty typical of me and tv unfortunately but i'm glad we finally caught it I remember when it came out, I remember seeing previews for it and like being like, oh, this is like, this looks like a cool thing. And I don't even think that I knew at the time that Baz Luhrmann was attached to it, or mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't like tracking Baz as a name as, as much at that time. But it was just like, oh, that looks like an exciting, like a musical TV show. Like, that's cool. You know, I don't know. 
trying to get the timeline. Stranger Things was probably like the same year? Question mark. I, th- I think it, that is a good question because yeah, I think it would have been later the same year as the first part came out. I think it's this Stranger Things and the OA all dropping at once, and Netflix is like, we are here to make TV. Yeah, that is going to be a common thread in my notes. Hmm. I feel like there was a divergent of paths of people who got introduced to Netflix. It's like either you watched one of those three shows, and I feel like most people went down the Stranger Things path, and not mm-hmm. enough people went down the Get Down path, and that's maybe mm-hmm. why it did not go further. Yeah, when I was looking at like the announcements and the press releases of this coming out, it was all like Netflix, the company that makes House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. Like, that's how they were being described. Mm. It's still that first wave, kind of, that I feel like this is just at the end of. Oh, yeah. I forgot they did House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. If this exact show dropped today, Mm. I feel like it would be kind of different. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) How it was received, yeah. Yeah, I just, like, I think the biggest thing watching this, I had IMDb open the whole time. I'm just like, oh, my God, is this cast stacked? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And especially what I think is beautiful, it's like, it's not stacking like, this is the biggest name out there. I'm like, give this four years and everybody in this is going to be like a household name. In the same way the Stranger Things was. It's like, you didn't know any of these people, but like, give it four years and these are like the top people, you know? I think at that time, especially like 16, 17, we had so few black coming of age shows. It's just so sad to me that like, this was like, in a way, a black Stranger Things in the sense of like, this black coming of age show and like, for all intents and purposes, kind of flopped. Hmm. It's kind of just, I don't know, it's really sad. Yeah. I mean, it certainly wasn't marketed like Stranger Things was. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember Stranger Things being a pleasant surprise and then going to Target and seeing, like, a section of Target that was dedicated to all the merch (laughs) for it, you know? So, yeah. Let me run through some of the stats here quickly. Yeah. We are talking about The Get Down, created by Baz Luhrmann and the playwright Stephen Adley Gerges. Not sure if I'm saying his name correctly, but he's the guy who wrote Jesus Hopped the A-Train, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, and Between Riverside and Crazy, which is on Broadway right now. We're specifically talking today about the first episode, Where There Is Ruin, There Is Hope for a Treasure. Pretty clunky title, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, it was released August 12th, 2016 by Netflix. This first episode is the only episode that is directed by Baz Luhrmann. Mm. Although I've got a lot of behind the scenes stuff later about how involved he was throughout the whole thing. It was written by him, Stephen, and Seth V. Rosenfeld, who is also a playwright. The score for this episode is by Elliot Wheeler, who before this had only done documentaries and short films so this is kind of his first big thing, and he's going to go on to compose Elvis. Oh. So he's staying in the Baz camp, which is interesting. This episode runs one hour and 33 minutes. It had an estimated budget of $16 million per episode for the whole show. Damn. And I am reading that $6 million is generally considered expensive for a TV show. So this was well above that. And at the time of release, it got positive critical reviews. It's got a 69 on Metacritic. And I think especially the second part of the season that dropped a year later is even like more well-reviewed than the first. Emmett, do you want to talk about the story of this episode a little bit? 
Okay, this story goes on a wild ride. It is a full movie-length episode and is, like, a movie's worth of stuff happens in this, for sure. It's not, like... It's not like Prestige TV where that means they're taking like a minute to do each establishing shot before they do everything. It's like <laughs> I, like stuff is happening constantly. Uh the basis of it is we've got this uh this young kid, Zeke, who is growing up in the Bronx. Uh although I will say this is all framed by the framing device of 1996. There's this rapper, and he's about to take us back on a story about like the, like the birth of hip hop and where he grew up, and like yeah, I was when this the first like in the first like couple minutes of the show, I was like, no way, I was I was so stoked, I was so psyched <laughs> about just like everything that was about to happen that opening montage, like everything is just like so like so cool, and then we're like, oh, we're gonna get the story of, like, how he grew up, how he met his, like, best friend slash mentor who was a DJ, and he became the MC for this DJ. That's the framing device. We're going to see this story, but this is the very first moment of it. He's this young kid growing up in the Bronx, the borough of New York that is being basically systematically neglected by the city, left to burn. Gangs are, like, running around on the streets and, like, burning stuff and and causing all these problems it seems like there's this political organizer who may or may not be corrupt but has the best interests of the of the actual borough at heart but is like you know working on perhaps on the shadier side of the law and then you've got uh, a mayor who just like does not care about this part of the city at all but who's in a mayoral race with Ed Koch, who was a real, like, and those are real figures, like, from New York history, too, right? Like, that mm-hmm. this election is actually happening at this time as well. And so, like, you've got this thing going on. As all of this is the the backdrop for this kid growing up, he's going to this school. He wins a poetry contest to write about the, the death of his parents, uh, but he doesn't want to speak in class. He also has this romance with a girl who comes from, a, like, a more conservative religious family and who doesn't want her to be singing disco, which is what her dream is to do. There's an entire plot with... I mean, I don't even want to say side plot, because it is, like, the part of the whole plot, but there's this entire plot with her where she's, like, got this t- this sample tape of her singing. She's trying to get it to the disco, to, like, the most famous disco DJ. They're going to get it to him, and then he's going to play her, and they're all of these machinations... We haven't even, like, gotten to the Inferno yet. <laughs> but he's in love with her. He's trying to, you know, emote, like, give, give it through language. And he's, like, writing poetry for her. And just, like, all this really beautiful stuff that she thinks he doesn't, you know, have the courage to, like, step up and actually say in class. That there's a, that's a whole, like, aspect of this as well. Uh, where, like, people are making fun of him for expressing himself at all, which is, you know, like, there's an aspect of of that then on the other side him and his friends talking about they they love seeing some cool graffiti and their favorite guy is Shaolin fantastic who is a crazy graffiti and parkour artist who also happens to be under the tutelage of grandmaster flash an iconic and also real life dj from the scene at the time who has sent Shaolin Fantastic on this quest to steal this famous uh, single that's in this record shop. 
they can have the single so they can use it for the DJ set. Ah, all of this going on. Young Z comes into the middle of it. Uh, and he sees Shaolin Fantastic almost fall off a building. He gets the record, which is what he was going to get in the first place because he was also trying to get it for his girlfriend uh, and like show his, like prove his love to her through this like beautiful gift of this single that she loves. So he gets it. He's got a hold of it. He's going to go to the club. Unfortunately, they're already all the girls. They've already got to the club and they have this other plan to go and get in the dance contest so they can get her tape to the DJ cut back to he's outside the club he's like please you gotta let me get in i got to go in because my girl is in there and otherwise you know who knows i have to play the single and like win her love basically he's out there he's angry in the street and then we see shallon fantastic is also there he's like all right here's the deal you give me the you give me the record i'll go play it they go they do it all sorts of other stuff ensues what what more the club gets attacked by the Savage Warlords gang, shoots up the Le Inferno Club, presumably trying to kill the owner of it, who's this lady who is fairly sinister and has is like talking about how like running the entire cocaine racket in the Bronx. Uh, and then she's like trying to expand. And then apparently some rival people come and try and kill her, shoot up the dance floor, kill the DJ, murder on the dance floor. Then we've got Zeke running away. Zeke and Shaolin getting the hell out of there, trying to get the record, running off, not knowing what's going on because like everything's in chaos. We've got wait, is it Mylene? I believe so. Yeah. She goes home. Her dad is pissed. He's there. He's like, "You're singing this devil music," and then he's like, "Super." He's a yeah. He is abusive and like is like hitting her and all this stuff. Then she goes to her uncle. Surprise, surprise. Her uncle is the community organizer dude who's, like, holding stuff over on the mayor. Big shocker. And then, what do we have at the end? We have Shallon Fantastic, Zeke, and his friends up on the rooftops. They're, like, scouting out. They see where are the three main territories of, like, who the main DJs there are. And then they're like, no, we've got to make our own. And there it is. They say, we're going to do it. And then you see the train rolls past, and it says... Where there's ruin, there's hope for a treasure. How'd I do? The task that you just handled of describing basically an hour and a half long movie in that has maybe, what, eight different plot lines? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It's just so much. Yeah, there's so much going on there. I feel like the natural like TV spot to end this is after all the club business, but... Mm-hmm. You're still there for a half an hour, really setting, getting into this whole other thing, which was what makes it feel a little more feature to me yeah. than mm-hmm. your regular episode of TV, I guess. What I think is really interesting, and this is like a huge complaint against the series, is like how Jaden Smith's character is like in it, but not in it. Like mm-hmm. he's just kind of sprinkled throughout that first episode. So he is in the gang, right? Or am I misinterpreting that? He is. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, I don't I don't get why when the gang raids the club, he's not there. Wait. Well, he's not in the Savage Warlords. Oh, is he? Yeah, well, he has the jacket. Or is he just, like, stealing their fashion? I think he's just, like, stealing their fashion. I think the, the those brothers are all, like, younger, aren't they? So Yeah. Like, him and his brothers, they're all, like, like younger and in, more innocent than... Yeah. Seems like when the Warlords show up. I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess his thing is that he is also a graffiti artist. So he has this whole like love of shell and fantastic that comes in from a different way. But I don't know. The whole main crew is weird because he seems sort of distant from the rest of them. And then the other guys seem like they're like eight years old. Like they seem so much younger than the rest of them. So it's a weird vibe. And it's like, let me hold my 10-year-old brother back from getting into a fight with a gang member. (laughs) Like, (laughs) damn. Yeah, boo-boo and (laughs) rah-rah. So also... But that's real life, you know, but at the same time, there is a point where it does have like a Peter Pan, the Lost Boys feel with Shaolin and the rest mm. of them. Where it's just like, that that's a child. Why is a child here? Like, this is like wild. Yeah. Um, I did write this down because I think this was like maybe the funniest line in the whole pilot. When the daughter comes home and Giancarlo says, and I quote, do you have any idea what time it is your mother almost died? <laughs> open like and just the manipulation like the like the toxic tony of that your mother almost died <laughs> and that's your opening move in this chess game do you have any idea what time it is your mother almost died she nearly had a heart attack that is a scene that i thought was going to be funny all the <laughs> way through when he started hitting her basically well, see, it's very interesting. I have watched that with some people, and they have been dying laughing that entire time. Mm, see, that's the thing that's really interesting. It's like, I think that physical abuse, especially in certain communities, is like so normalized to the point where it's almost comical, which is like, mm. I'm trying to remember. I think it was, I went to go see Black Widow, and there's like the scene at the end where like the Russian guy is about to smack her, who just puts his hands up. This is a theater full of Black people dying laughing dying laughing <laughs> to be fair it is like this is a podcast they're not going to see me physically do this but he just goes like this and i'm just like it was so jerky and i'm just like damn we need to heal our community the fact that we're laughing at a woman about to get beat like that's not cool we need to heal ourselves internally <laughs> damn i mean even the when it started i was just like because Baz gets so like slapstick too, he yeah. can be so like big mm-hmm. and funny. But then it just keeps going for a while. He's just like hitting her in the corner, and then it was like, oh, this is a different kind of show now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is dark. And then also hitting her in the corner, and like Baz is just like, oh, let me just put this crucifix in the frame, just so you guys can remember the irony here. Oh my god, I completely forgot about this. Sorry, we're gonna tangent out for a second. Yeah. But this made me think a lot about Baz and religion. Ooh. And I have been kicking myself since our Romeo plus Juliet episode, because so many of my notes, and we didn't talk about on the episode, are Uh about like how that movie is all about Catholicism, basically. And how it's like set in Catholic hell, basically. Yeah. And I feel like there's also like a lot of religious stuff in this that he's really playing with yeah oh my because that's what i wrote down is that like i saw a lot of similarities in his romeo and juliet and this Mm -hmm. just the relationships between environment and the parents and the children i was like oh if that is not lord montague and that is not lord capulet and juliet right there in that scene yeah no it's there 
and these huge like sweeping shots of the like the whole environment too and like really like feeling like these characters come from like this place where like all of like all of these buildings are like blown up and like burning and like i read an interview or like read a, an article about like how accurate like how historically accurate is this show and like how much work did they put in historically and it seems like they they did a fair amount as well as, as in terms of like talking to you know the actual artist grandmaster flash and other artists of the of the time uh, but also like there was a, an interview with a journalist and saying like they went to go and they were like french journalists or something and they went to go interview or follow and photograph like some of the gang members that were running around in the Bronx at that time. And like, once they were, they were like intimidated at first, but once they were able to convince them that they were not like American journalists and we're not going to like, as long as they were like, okay, well, we're not going to answer any questions, but you're welcome to like photograph us and like follow us around and film us. I think some of that documentary, like some of that footage is like real footage from the time Um, um, in this, in the Baz thing that he is like repurposed. And and plays back into like what you're saying, like it seeming so much like Romeo and Juliet. But y'all, big question: flop or bop? That's what we're really here to answer. <laughs> it's a bop for me. It is a bop on every level. The other day, I was looking through some old family photos of just like the '70s going into the '80s, and like watching this show. I was like, the colors. The biggest thing for me is like the costumes, because like I hate when people do the '70s. It's just like big fur coat, bell bottoms, stuff that doesn't actually people didn't actually wear every day. I'm like, oh, they're the long socks and like the really short shorts. I'm like, this actually looks like stuff that like people actually wore back then. Like, mm-hmm. that's probably where all the budget went was all the set deck and the costumes. But like, they mm-hmm. just they had it perfect. It was amazing. God, that blue suit he wears is fantastic. I know H&M does, like, those, like, lines for TV shows and then one for Stranger oh. Things. I'm like, where's that blue suit? Why can I not buy that blue suit in H&M? Yeah. Who do I have to call? Like... Yeah, Wade, flop or bop? Bop for me, too. I really liked it. I think my... I don't want to say biggest takeaway. My first takeaway is just the thing we kind of already mentioned, where, like, at the time, this was a lot of unknown and, like, smaller character actors. Mm. And when mm-hmm. you watch it today six years later it is like every 10 minutes like someone else who is famous or is a character actor that is beloved or is like an internet boyfriend pops up oh yeah yeah. like (laughs) all the time i mean even you've even got like david diggs is in the framing device billy porter shows up as the dj (laughs) and an incredible cameo yeah and i think all of the cast is so good in this too so I guess that was my main takeaway was the performances. I guess my only real criticism of it is that like the camera work, you can see the mm. Baz is crumbling a little bit under the budget. I think with this being his first TV thing, I feel like what he is normally so good at, like clarity of motion. Like there was a bunch of times in the action scenes in this where it was just kind of like, wait, who is standing where and mm. what is happening? What are we trying to do? But in terms of, like, themes, as we've talked a lot about already, like, this is pure Baz. You know, the young lovers, the Mm -hmm. framing device, even having, like, a poet. He loves the poets and having, like, written word at the centers. I mean, talk about his whole thing is Orpheus, right? He loves Orpheus. You have to go into Le Inferno Club and, like, like play a song to to bring your love out. 
come on. Like, that's classic, classic stuff. It is very Bazzy still, which I liked a lot. Emmett, Flamber Bob for you. Oh, I think it's a Bob. And I really want to go and watch the rest of the show now. It, like, promises greatness. It seems, like, really cool. I would love to spend more time with those characters and and see where, like, all the threads that are started in this progress. Because that would see my one weakness here is that it is... It's heavy on introducing people and introducing ideas and, and, like, elements of plot. There's only, like, one thread that gets, like, round back. Or, like, one or two threads that get, like, that get, like, succinctly concluded at the end of the episode. And everything else, as it should be, is, is left to, like blossom further down the line but that is like in terms of a, a movie uh i would want it to be more self-contained that just leaves me excited to go see the rest of the tv show not really a, a criticism definite bob and i also love this weird like quest thing that's being set up um by grandmaster flash for shallon fantastic and eventually zeke as well of like you are going to kind of go on this classic hero's journey. Like it's going to be said in the words of the classic hero's journey to you by this guy to like, make it seem more mystical and exciting. But the challenges, you know, are going to be like different. I don't know, like getting different records maybe, or like facing off perhaps in, in freestyles or, or, you know, just like proving his worth as a DJ. It's that aspect of it way to counter your like the clunky title is like part of the joke there right because it is like this yeah it's kind of like based on like the old kung fu movie thing of like yes you must defeat the curse of the tower of the hidden dragon or something you know like Mm -hmm. like spider-man what is that spider-man tv movie spider-man curse of the dragon right (laughs) <laughs> yeah it is something like that yeah <laughs> the bounce off that fantasy aspect like this almost to me is on the same level of fantasy like something like scott pilgrim where it's like it's grounded but it's like brushing almost like magic realism to me like i love that connection between like kung fu movies and hip-hop and how it is just like i don't know i just think it's like very fantastical and i think Like, this was the perfect director to choose to do that kind of, like, it's still the real world, but this is, like, so heightened and so opulent and so ridiculous. that And you buy into it by the end of the time. Can Shaolin jump across a building like Spider-Man? Sure. Why not? I'll buy it. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? Exactly. Is that record not broken after falling off a building and being thrown in the street? (laughs) And, like, maybe everything? Sure, the vinyl didn't snap. I'll buy it. Sure. Like, I'll just go with it. It's fine. Because isn't it more fun to just go with it? Yeah. So much more fun. Wait, do you have some behind-the-scenes drama? I know we are running short on time here, so do you have some quick behind-the-scenes drama for us? This was an idea that Baz had for a while. I don't know how specific it was, but he said that he had been thinking about it since 1996, which is when the intro was set. So I feel like there's something interesting there. As he's wrapping up Gatsby in 2012, he signs this deal with a production company, Sony TV to start doing TV work. He's shopping out the get down in 2015. Netflix buys it. And the original agreement is that they're going to do 13 episodes in season one. Baz is going to direct three of those episodes and Baz sets up this writer room. He hires Steven. He hires uh, the writers and a showrunner, Sean Ryan, who worked on the shield that's in 2014. And at this point, Baz says that his goal for the get down is that he wants to be an uncle to the project. He basically wants to check in every now and then 
you know, have the idea, check in every now and then and see how it's going. But he is not trying to basically do this full time. Has this ever worked for anyone in the history of anything <laughs> since, yes. I mean, no, no, I, I am uh, genuinely asking for a friend because like, has this ever worked? I don't think so. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert, it's not going to work. He checks in <laughs> after a year of letting them do their thing. Basically nothing has been done. So he moves the production to New York. That was all happening in Los Angeles. The showrunner doesn't come with. They get a new showrunner named Thomas Kelly. But basically, I think it's a mix of this show being really hard and Baz having an attention to detail and coming from films mm. where he is probably doing things more with like the leisure and budget you have on a film set as opposed to TV. And all of that is like making this process very difficult, very long and very expensive. So, for instance, every single song in this had to be cleared before they could even write it in the scripts, before they could even get off of the scripting stage. And then they're saying every single episode also has a dance sequence that needs to be choreographed. They took over a warehouse in Queens, basically, that they called the dojo room, which is where they would have these like long rehearsals before every episode. They had the real Grandmaster Flash and Nas come in and teach them dances and how to like do the DJs. Shortly after filming begins, the other showrunner, Thomas Kelly, leaves. So now the project just does not have a showrunner and it doesn't get another one. And Baz basically steps in unofficially and becomes the showrunner and is there for production like every day for two years. So he, I think, just spent a ton of time on it. And Sony TV was kind of anxious, but Netflix, I think, was really, really pro Baz. And so they were giving him even more resources. It said that it was approved for a budget of $7 million per episode and ended up coming to $16 million per episode. Jesus. Not to mention that they dropped 11 instead of 13 episodes and that there was a year-long break in the middle, which now is a little more common to have a break in the middle of the season. But back then, that was the first time they'd ever done that. Damn. So it eventually all comes out in 2017. And then a month after that, Netflix cancels it. Baz wrote a Facebook post. That was the era we were in. Oh my God. Wait, please. Does, <laughs> do you have it? I have a little bit of it. I have the relevant part. Well, it's a lot of nice stuff too, but this is what I thought was most interesting about Baz's career. He writes, when I was asked to come to the center of the get down to help realize it, I had to defer film directing for at least two years. This exclusivity was a sticking point for Netflix and Sony, who have both been tremendous partners. It kills me that I can't split myself into two and make myself available to both TV and film production. But the simple truth is I make movies, and when you direct movies, there can be nothing else in your life. Damn. So I guess he's basically saying, like, this killed me and I want to make a movie again. That's <laughs> basically yeah. his vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and this became, historically the first original Netflix show to ever be canceled after one season. Wow. That had not happened before the get down. Everything was at least getting two seasons. I was reading about this That's Marco Polo sad. show that apparently cost $90 million and got two seasons. Two seasons? Which no one watched. Of Marco so. Polo that no one watched? <laughs> I'm sorry, Damn. the pool show got two seasons, but... <laughs> The freaking epic 70s hip-hop doc could not get a second season. But I get to learn why I say Marco Polo in the pool. (laughs) 
So I guess like all bad stuff, it's a really troubled production. But when you guys watch this, does it feel like that to you? Does it feel like an over-budget, conflicted backstage process? Or does it hang together as a cohesive, finished product, do you think? Here's how I feel about it. Essentially, having watched, I think, all of it, it very much feels like someone knitted a sweater. And it's very well made. But over time, little threads start to come out. And by the end, it's still a nice sweater. But it's not as tight as it used to be. I don't know. I feel like the pilot is amazing. Everyone's acting. The rent is due. But as it goes along, I think you can kind of tell that, like, maybe some people are like, this is more time that I wanted to give. Or maybe, you know, I, you can see the seams kind of showing as it goes along. It's still good. Mm-hmm. But you can see the seams, in my opinion. Yeah. Let's dive into MVP. Okay. Most valuable player other than the protagonist. I guess that's Zeke, right, Emmett? Yeah, would you take Zeke. off anyone else? I will not take off anyone else. If you would like to choose Shaolin Fantastic as your MVP, you're more than welcome to. DeAndre, you have first pick. Here. This is very hard. Okay. I love so many of these characters. Mm. I'm actually, this is maybe a controversial pick. I'm going to say my MVP is going to be... I can't choose two people. It's going to be Billy Porter in this. Okay. One, I didn't realize it was Billy Porter until I IMDb'd it. I think what he's doing is, like, this is the most, like, side character NPC, like, mini-boss that there could be in a fantasy game. And his whole exchange with Zeke in this, like, basically, like, 70s, I'm gonna get you, sucker, rap tone. I'm like, that's beautiful. That's, like, verse work. Like, that's Shakespeare. I'm like, that's really cool. And I'm just, I feel like you have to be an experienced theatrical actor to do that and have it not be silly. For it to actually be, mm. like, legitimately, like, I believe you talk like that. And I believe that you have, like, the confidence to actually back up what you're saying. I just think with, what, four minutes of screen time to make that big of an impression, I was really impressed. Wait. Mine would also be from that scene. It is really difficult to just pick one, but I would pick our beloved on this podcast, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, as Cadillac, basically playing the concept of cocaine personified into a human body. I mean... I mean, he isn't all white, too, so... (laughs) Yeah, he isn't all white, it's such a wild performance. I knew that he was in this, but I didn't know where. So at the beginning, I was like, oh, is he going to be Shaolin? And then it keep going. And then like, as soon as you just see in the corner of your eye, someone named Cadillac in an all-white suit, I was like, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where he is. And, you know, I just want to say, too, we've talked a lot in this series about Baz, like, finding young talent or recognizing young talent. This is Yaya's first on-screen appearance ever. Oh. Ever, ever, what? his first thing is Cadillac. Damn, what the hell? Which is also kind of interesting because it kind of feels like playing against type to what I think of his on-screen persona as being now. Yeah, he's like a little more wild, but it is like such a joy to see him having fun. I think he's really scary in the scene with Zeke, and then I also think it's just like so amazing to watch him on the dance floor and do all of that stuff. So. He was definitely the MVP for me. Emmett, who was yours? I'm going to go with Uncle Community Organizer guy, who I think is doing really interesting things in the background of this. And it was like the character Mm. who I was like, I think you see a very little of, 
And I think I like the character I was most interested to be like, what's more of what's going on with this guy, with his relationship with his niece? How is he going to be like a barrier? Because he seems like he could be a big barrier if he decided that he didn't like Zeke for whatever reason. Then he could be a big barrier to uh, Zeke and Mylene getting together. So I was like, uh oh. But also, he seems like he's got the best interests of the community at heart too. He's talking about this like big development project. Very fascinated by him. I thought you were talking about something else. You're talking about Jimmy Smiths, right? I think maybe I don't know I don't I are you talking about Bail Organa or are you talking about yes yeah 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 oh, Bail Organa <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah oh yeah 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 that dude hilarious okay if you have to leave at this moment I understand if you don't do you have any final thoughts on the film final thoughts I will happily give them I recommend to get down to anyone and everyone who just wants to have a good time. And my final thoughts is, as a filmmaker, as a creative that is maybe a little obsessively um, focused on Black coming-of-age content, we need more of this. When we get it, we have to support it. As we know, Netflix loves to cancel everything. And like I said in the top, I think that, like, I think that if there was a world where Stranger Things maybe came out, like, four or five months later, this might have done better. Mm. And I think that we just have to support this kind of content. Like, we have to see more of this content. Um, when stuff like this gets canceled, it kind of just hurts making new stuff. But, like, I don't know, guys. If we get these numbers up for the get down, if this reaches enough people, <laughs> maybe we yeah. can get, like, an epilogue series, like, in the 2000s. I don't know. Like, let's let's just, like, try to push these numbers, guys. <laughs> Hell yes. But wait, let me let me ask a question for both of you. Would you have rather seen the movie version, a two-hour version of this whole story, or do you prefer this 11-hour version? Because it was a film first, and then it became a TV show. I thought about this a lot. In the world where it is just Zeke and Shaolin and Ra-Ra and Boo-Boo are not involved, and Jaden Smith is not involved, (laughs) I think that you have a picture that could fit within like an hour and a half. So I'm interested to see, I, I would read the script of the movie and just see what's Mm. still there. I think it's really cool to exist in a whole world like this. And I think even if it isn't like 100%, like you said, or if you like you say the, the seam show a little towards the end, I'm excited to get to spend that much more time. I was just thinking about this, like rewatching the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings. Like how much more fun is it to watch an extra Mm. hour of each of those movies than to watch the theatrical edition. Like, it honestly, in your life, it does not matter that you spend 12 hours instead of nine hours watching Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? So you might as well watch the one where you get all the good stuff. And that's how I feel about, like, this being made into a TV show, even though I haven't seen it yet. So I think Peter Jackson invented prestige television with the Lord of the Rings at me. But, uh, all right. Do you have to dip out, DeAndre? Because it's fine if... Okay, yeah, it's 12, and I do have to Yeah. You... Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for being here. Wonderful guests. Yes, thank you for being here, DeAndre. Thank you so much for having me. If this was not sufficient, I'm very happy to give you more content. I feel bad that we had this really tight time thing. So if you all need anything else, just hit me up, and I will... Oh, no, no, no. it's all good. Okay, great. But we will definitely have you on again to... To have some more DeAndre goodness on the feed for some other future project. Amazing. When, whenever there's another movie with Git in the title, 
we will have you back on for it. Oh my god, I didn't even I will think say this. this. Um, I was very upset about Bumtober, mainly because I didn't have Instagram on my phone, and you can't vote on polls on desktop. So what? I was really trying to rig this for Spike Lee or Amy Heckerling, because I was like, I need oh. to be. I was trying to rig it. I was really trying to vote as much as I could. So if you mm. ever do Amy Heckerling, I will be here with a vengeance to give you a two-hour, not as much as you want, about Clueless or Fast Time. Okay. As much as you want. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Let All you right. know, I will sing her praises for hours. Clueless. Okay. We got it. We have to talk about Clueless. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you, DeAndre. Even without our lovely guests, we can still continue, and Wade can just do a lightning round quiz and see if uh, see if he can beat the quiz. Yeah, I've got some final thoughts before oh, we start this quiz. Damn, wait, you have final thoughts? I don't know if you do too, Emmett. I, I might. Okay, number one, I just want to shout out, this is weirdly Baz's only R-rated thing. I thought that was interesting, that this is huh. the only thing he ever does that has like swearing and stuff in it even though i would say it has less sex than some of his other even than romeo plus Juliet. yeah and like we said we shouted out all the bad things you've even got a character saying a life lived in fear is a life half lived oh uh, yeah who's like the classic basmark quote he's got the basmark graffiti at the end i wanted to read this quote that i had which was about working with the people who you know the real grandmaster flash mm-hmm. obviously because he's a real person a couple other people in this are real people I sort of knew that going in, and then I was kind of wondering if Zeke and Shell and Fantastic were also going to turn out to be real people. Yeah. But it is more sort of about, like, the spirit of the era than it is about specific individuals. Yeah. This is his quote. This is Baz. Talking about authenticity. He says, One scene where they're doing the DJing, Flash came and said it wasn't right. I wasn't on set at the time. Flash said, we'll get destroyed out there in the hip-hop community. And I said we'd reshoot it. I went back and I lobbied to say that we have to get it right. Because this is not my story. It's a living history. I owe it to this community that has let me in to make sure we do everything we can to make sure that we are honorable and do the very best to tell their story. End quote. And I just thought that was really interesting, especially in 2015, 2016, where it feels like this wasn't as big of a conversation But still, like, you do have this white Australian director who's making, you know, a series here about, like, black people in the Bronx, about hip hop. Mm -hmm. He's going to be talking about, like, race relations in the South in a huge way and Southern culture and Elvis. Um, I think we see the seeds of it even in in Gatsby, too. Mm -hmm. And certainly what we talked about with the indigenous stuff in Australia. Yeah. So I think interesting, at least for him to be saying, like, This is not my story. I'm preserving history and preserving these stories and trying to get it right. Yeah. I mean, if like you're going to choose to do this story, like that is the way you have to proceed to do it. Like if he was to try and do it now, I think more people would be more resistant to it, perhaps. I agree. But that still doesn't mean that he might not have been the best person to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at the time. I don't know. So... Because he has made this mm-hmm. and Gatsby and Elvis, I think under those circumstances, if it was announced he was doing something else like this today, like if his next movie is like a biopic about Nas or something, uh-huh. I think there would be a lot of resistance, but I don't think it would actually be that much because he has kind of made this his beat recently, you know? Yeah. And done it at least somewhat accurately. Like 
I know that his style is not everyone's preference, but like mm-hmm. people are not coming away from these movies being like that was embarrassing or that isn't true to the culture. Or yeah, whatever, on a big scale. Yeah. So so wait to to process what you said earlier about him show running. That basically meant that he was functionally directing the whole show, right? There's a director for each individual episode, correct? Mm-hmm. But then he would show run for the entire thing. I guess the showrunner on TV is basically the same as like the number one producer on a movie. So oh. he is like there on set making sure everything is running. He I think he is the one who is approving like every move. Like he has like final say on all of that stuff, approving scripts. So even though it seems like he's never behind a camera after this first episode, he is still, I think, on set every day of production for like two years for the rest of the series. That is nuts. Um, There was even another quote. I didn't actually copy it, but there was something where he was saying like, he was like, this is more people than I've ever worked with. And I've done a lot of different things. And this is by far the most people I've worked with on a project ever. So Wow. That is just crazy. No wonder it took him so long to recover and then go and do Elvis. And then, of course, Elvis gets interrupted by COVID in production, right? Or before production? Yeah. We'll talk about that a little more next week. But it really isn't that long. Like, when you hear nine years between Gatsby and Elvis, you're like, what took him so long? But then if you think about this finishes in summer 2017. He's Uh working on it all the way until then. They're filming in like February 2020 for Elvis when Tom Hanks gets COVID. So yeah. Yeah, three years. That's not it's not much. People just need to lay off of artists. They can't be doing all of that. So just relax. Especially when it's as fully immersive as what Baz does. Yeah. It's not Tycho coming on and directing seven scenes of dialogue that then get pasted into an already created CGI thing that people have been working on for seven years. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's, it's something. Yeah. And, and that's something I really like about him. Like I do obviously also have like the most utmost respect for like a Denny Villeneuve who is going to give you Dune part two, exactly two years after Dune part one. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, that, that that man is working without sleeping for two entire years. Like, to do that right yeah to crank them out at that same level of detail which baz is also working at he's doing it like crazy and so i i do respect baz only having six movies over 30 years especially with how much research he's done for a lot of this stuff is, is dune part two really slated for next next fall winter next october i think it even moved up a few weeks next year so yeah denny is like i'm getting the damn nomination for best director <laughs> for fastest director damn it for, for quickest damn turnaround what is what does he take he's like throw me a bone dude what does it take oh uh, yeah uh, you know that he already has his next one too i think we've maybe talked about this but he's doing rendezvous with rama which is an arthur c clark book i guess it's one of supposed to be one of the best arthur c clark books another sci-fi arrival-esque thing okay but like he's already got that on tap for when dune part two finishes filming Damn. the man is back to back right is now. he doing a part three to dune is he doing children or wait is he doing dune messiah he talked about wanting to do dune messiah as part three i feel like that depends how well 
part two does the box office probably all right well you know what your job is cinema bums listeners i don't have to tell you (laughs) twice all right wade now it comes to the part of the podcast called bums the word and the theme of this times bums the word comes from a list from mental floss by crystal george hey thanks crystal eight of the most expensive netflix shows of all time so these are shows that are Produced by Netflix, um, that cost Netflix a lot of money, reportedly because Netflix is very tight-lipped about its budgets, etc. This list includes, of course, The Get Down, so that one is a freebie. Um, you got seven more to guess here. Okay. We've got, this show ran from 2013 to 2019, and it's one of Netflix's first original series. It was an instant success with viewers when it premiered in 2013. Any guesses yet before I completely spoil it with this next sentence? Uh, Well, I guess if it's first, I'm thinking either House of Cards, perhaps? This is not House of Cards. Or Orange is the New Black? Those are the two first ones I think of. That is correct. Yes, okay. this prison drama reportedly cost Netflix $4 million per episode to make, which is not, I guess, so much, but whatever. Uh, here we go. We've got number two. This 2013 to 2018 drama is the one that really put the company's streaming arm on the map. So, of course, the company put a lot of money into it. Is this one House of Cards? Yes. Good, because I would have guessed it for every single one. <laughs> Next is um, 2020 to present. Season one reportedly cost $7 million per episode to make. With uh, much of that likely coming from the various locations, intricate costumes. It's unclear how much season two costs, but it wouldn't be unreasonable to think the budget went up, given how successful the show has been for Netflix. Okay, so season one dropped in 2020? Yeah. And there's already been a season two? Yeah. Are they coming out with a season two, maybe? Maybe they have come out with a season two. Okay. Thinking hot, thinking ball gown thinking uh i'm thinking bridgerton (laughs) yes exactly all right number four estimated budget seven to eight million per episode it was canceled after just three seasons wow only three and while netflix never gave a reason why the show was axed it might not be hard to figure out each episode Reportedly cost between $7 million and $8.5 million, but according to Vulture, it never quite hit the popularity of the company's other shows. Hmm. Think gritty crime drama with boats. Think probably at least $4 million of each of those episodes' budgets going to very realistic um, prop cocaine for everything that they're using in this sort of show. <laughs> Think explosions. Think handsome TV dad mm. as possible bad guy slash anti-hero. Okay. Looking like Archer. Is this Ozark? It's not Ozark. Mm, okay. <laughs> TV dad as possible anti-hero? Is this like a spy show? Yeah, I think so. I actually don't know what this show is about. So all of that, <laughs> what I just said was wild speculation. You know, it was canceled, Wade. It was. It has to do with boats? Yeah. All right. What is this? Yeah. Kyle Chandler's in it. Ben Mendelsohn's in it. Dear God. It's a thriller. I don't know. I'm not sure. 
Okay, it's it's called Bloodline. Oh. It begins with narration by John Raybird. Sometimes you know something's coming. You feel it in the air. I think he stole that from Lord of the Rings. In your gut. And you don't sleep at night. The voice in your head is telling you that something is going to go terribly wrong, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's how I felt when my brother came home. Interesting. All right. Uh, number five is a 2015 to 2018 well-received 9 million per episode. It was a science fiction show. There was a two and a half hour series finale to wrap things up on this show. Oh my God. Wow. Is this the OA? No, this is okay. Is this sense eight? It is sense eight. That's right. Thank God. I didn't have to look up anything more about it. All right. Here we go. Next up is a 2016 very famous show about a very famous recently deceased person. It's a prestige drama premiered in 2016. It was an instant hit, especially amongst everybody's moms. No shade to them, but that's definitely who it's for. They apparently spent $13 million per episode on this. Is this The Crown? It is. Shocking to hear that the crown is almost as expensive as supporting the actual British royalty. (laughs) Everybody's mom is about to know Elizabeth Debicki. Wait, did I say her name right? That was an accident if I did. did. It was a complete accident. Um, Number eight is uh, a show that first premiered in 2016, capturing everyone's heart, especially Steven Spielberg's. And by capturing, by capturing, I mean plagiarizing. <laughs> by capturing his heart, I mean reaching your hand into his chest, uh, Molaram style, and ripping out his beating heart, and then plugging it into your TV show. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. It's great. It's Stranger Things. Wait, you have won, won the game once more. J.J. Abrams found dead in a ditch, clutching a DVD of Super 8 (laughs) seconds after Stranger Things premieres. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. And what's more, I think everybody should go rewatch Super 8. People should definitely rewatch all the extended edition Lord of the Rings. It's all there. They're all there. All your old friends. And it's still pretty good. Peter Jackson is a real one for using not very much CGI in those movies. So that there's only a couple of times when you watch them now where you're like, eh, and it is mostly mm. undistracting. Also shouts to Narnia for doing the same thing somehow. Hmm. Still holds up pretty good. Do you want to shout out that weird Netflix show you used to watch? I was thinking that one of these was going to be that. Oh, which I don't weird, even remember what it which, was. Which weird Netflix show is that? The time travel one? Time travel. Are you talking about Primeval? No. No, wait. I don't think so. Oh, yes! I am going to shout out. Yes! Yes, okay, Dark. You're right. This show, crazy, Mm. German Netflix TV show. Watch, do not watch the dub. Watch it and then read the subtitles. Come on. You can do it. And it'll it'll sound way scarier. I promise you it's way, way scarier when the original actors are like using their real voices. Crazy three-part TV show called Dark. It is about a German town with a nuclear plant and bad things just keep happening there. So what could it be? 
And I honestly don't want to tell you anything more. It's a little bit of a spoiler even to say that it is a time travel show, but but honestly, not because your head is going to be so turned around by the end of that. You're going to look like Linda Blair and you're going to be puking up pea soup yourself. So, yeah. Wade, any Netflix shows to shout out here? No shows, but I wanted to shout out the movie Dope, which also came out in Ooh. 2016. Mm-hmm. Also has Shamik Moore as the lead who mm-hmm. plays Shaolin Fantastic here and voices Miles Morales. Oh, yeah, I don't know. You have also the lead guy, you know, is from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. The Zeke. Oh. Oh, yeah. Funny how quickly you forget anything <laughs> about Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> Reduce I know that I'm just reducing our podcast to fun facts now. Okay, the yeah, other yeah. Jurassic World connection is that the guy playing Grandmaster Flash here is Mamadou Athi, who was the only good part of the most recent Jurassic Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and this is exactly what we were talking about. Like, Baz knew that. Like, Baz was like, these people are going to be stars, and I want them yeah. in this thing now before they're stars. Because they're stars now already. They're just not famous yet. And so I'm told now he goes about it. They're just, like, they're just incredibly <laughs> talented. <laughs> It's almost like he's got an eye for talent or something, Baz. What? <laughs> and we brought it all the way back around. Wonderful. Good work, us. Good work, Wade, on the quiz. Good work, Baz, on this show. Never do another show again, darling. It sounds awful for you. <laughs> uh, in 32 <laughs> weeks, we will be back when we talk about uh, Greta Gerwig's Barbie and you don't escape us really for that long because next week we will be talking about Elvis uh, 2022, which will be the final entry in our Baz Luhrmann series. Does that mean that the next thing we cover after Elvis <laughs> is going to be an equally sensitive look at the music industry <laughs> and fame? <laughs> the Muppets original movie? It's like a dream come true. Oh, uh all right well until such that time is has come upon us you know you know what it must be frosted cinema bums is a production of dkg podcasts it is created and produced by wade lawrence holloman and me emmett temple Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram, at cinemabums, or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. <laughs>